Welcome to the 10th episode of It Wasn't Me, Mercedes. Hey, 10th episode. Wow. Woo woo. Yep, yep. Woohoo. All okay. right. Well, as I just said, this is the 10th episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where you get to hear us talk about murders that intrigue us. I am Cindy. And I'm Mercedes. In this week's episode, we're going to talk about the killing spree of the Sunday morning slasher, Coral Watts. Thank you for listening to last week's episode where we discussed the horrific details and crimes committed by a twisted pedophile who murdered his own mama. Our podcast is not recommended for children. Fair warning, this will be extremely horrifying and graphic. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. Yeah, because we probably will use some bad words too. Oh yes, most definitely. Um, for more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and give us a five-star rating while you are there. Leave a comment telling us which murder intrigues you. And if you like our show, please consider supporting us through patreon.com forward slash pod. We appreciate our Patreon supporters so much. I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you feeling? I know you were sick last week. Yes, I was very sick. I um, actually didn't have a voice for a few days. Yeah, I can. You can tell? Yeah, I can kind (laughs) of tell it's going to come in and out, which I hope you didn't get from me because I had the same issue a couple of weeks ago, so. Well, I think it's just going around. Yeah. Nature of our business. So, all right. Well, today I'm going to talk to you about Carl Eugene Watts, who uh, was a serial killer during the 70s and 80s. All right, so let's start with Carl Eugene Watts was born in Colleen, Texas to Richard and Dorothy May on, uh, on November 7th, 1953. His father was in the Army and his mom was actually a kindergarten art teacher. When Carl was less than two bless years old... Bless her heart. I know, bless her heart. Oof. When Carl was less than two years old, his parents separated and Watts and his mother moved to Inkster, Michigan. So by 1962, Carl's mom had had remarried a mechanic named Norman Caesar, and they would later have two daughters together. He visited his grandmother a lot, and later on, she would tell the Houston Chronicle that even as a child, Carl Carl enjoyed hunting and skinning rabbits. Okay, so he um, he would go home. He would go back to Texas with his grandma. No, no, his grandmother lived in Virginia. Oh. But he okay. would visit her a lot. Okay. And I don't really find hunting and skinning rabbits really all that disturbing. Well, I guess it just depends on how you're doing it. Yes, you know? and she didn't go into detail. Okay. She just said that as a kid, he enjoyed doing this. Well, and that could just be something that she said innocently. And, of course, the media is going to pick that up and, and use it to their benefit. So. Right, right. Because I didn't see anything else where the grandmother said in any of the research that I did she said like, anything else other than that little like he's not he's not torturing the rabbits or anything like no, that i mean he would just hunt some them. people would consider hunting and skinning rabbits uh torturous but you know is he skinning the rabbits while they're alive she didn't say it she doesn't didn't. say here does it nope, <laughs> okay so i that. guess you could take that either way yes okay. there's definitely some missing uh context there okay all right so however carl <laughs> carl was described as a strange child and when he was around the age of 12, he claimed that um, 
this is when he was around 12, this is when he started to fantasize about torturing and killing girls and young women. Now that I find disturbing. Yes. So if we're saying that the hunting and skinning rabbits is not a part of this, you know, torturing animals, which is a, a red flag for serial killers, then yes. No, then here's the second stage of that, right? I would find it disturbing if she said he was hunting and skinning cats. Yeah. And dogs or, you know, neighborhood pets. I mean, I guess it just depends on what he's actually doing to the animal, but yes. Okay. All right. Um, A couple of years later, he actually started stalking girls, and it is believed that he possibly might have killed his first victim at 15. When he was 15. When he was 15. Okay. Now, when Carl was 13 years old, he was diagnosed with meningitis, and due to his illness, he was retained in the eighth grade upon return to school. He had a very difficult time keeping up with others, with the other students, and he also only read on a third to fourth grade level. He was also severely bullied at school because of this, and it is believed that the childhood fevers and meningitis led to his learning disabilities, which is high possibility. I also read that one of his sisters had meningitis as well, and when the mom took him to the emergency room, the, the girl was treated, the, the sister, but the, he wasn't. And they had to take him to a completely different hospital. Huh. I don't know. Okay. That would, I mean, I could see that because my mother-in-law had bacterial meningitis and lived, and it did some damage. Yes. All right. So around July 1969, Carl had his first run-in with the law. He was arrested for sexually assaulting a 26-year-old Joan Gave. Um, he was tried and sentenced to a mental hosp- hospital. The Lafayette Clinic. According to the psychiatric assessment, Carl revealed to suffer from mild mental retardation with a full-scale IQ of 68. That's pretty low. Yeah, that is low. So, and, accord, and to have delusional thought process. However, a police officer would later state that Carl seemed highly intelligent with an excellent memory. They called him cunning and just very sophisticated And when he, later on, when he is actually finally caught. Um, he was released from the Lafayette Clinic November 9th, 1969. According to a timeline researched and summarized by Chrissy Walter and Christopher White with the department. Wait, 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 hold on. So he was only in this clinic, this hospital for July 29th, August, September, October, and he was released November 9th. So he wasn't even in there. He was in there for approximately three months for sexually assaulting a woman. Is yes. that what I'm understanding? Yes. Oh, Lord. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, like I was saying, according to the timeline researched and summarized by Chrissy Walter and Christopher White with the Department of Psychology at Radford University, Carl simply felt like beating someone up when he pursued, or when he pursued, when he punched a 26-year-old white woman and was arrested July, tw- and now this says July 25th. Um he admitted to having sex at 14, but didn't have interest in girls and was told that sex was wicked behavior. So it's like someone was telling him in his childhood that sex was a bad thing, but yet he still was doing it, but it wasn't for, because he was attracted to women. Now, later on, I read that he had this deep hatred for women and it was possibly due to he, his favorite uncle was, get this, his favorite uncle was murdered by female relatives. Oh. Not one. Not just a female, but female relatives. I wonder if we could find enough to do a podcast on that guy one day. Right. Let's exactly. keep that in mind. Okay. So at this time, the clinic recommended for outpatient therapy. Okay. So they released him on the recommendation that he was going to get 
outpatient therapy. And I did for a little bit. But despite his poor script, get the, Despite his poor grades and use of drugs by the time he got to high school, he was able to graduate from high school and even received a football scholarship. Okay, to college. To college. Okay, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. No <laughs> um, so he, he earned a football scholarship to Lane College in Jackson, Mississippi. One article that I read, Tennessee. Jackson, Tennessee? Tennessee. Okay. So one article that I read stated that he was expelled from Lane College because a young student was murdered. Lane College believed that Carl was a suspect. However, there wasn't enough evidence to convict him, which seems to be a trend with this guy, which is kind of, you know, it's kind of scary. His name keeps coming up when there are assaults or murders, yet yes. there's no evidence to connect him. None. Okay. Uh, wait till I get to, wait till I get later on. You're going to, you're going to have a fucking fit. So, um... So there wasn't enough evidence to convict him. And once again, the timeline put together by the psychology department at Radford University states that Carl had a severe knee injury and wasn't able to play football anymore and dropped out three months later. So there's kind of some conflicting information. So he was either A, thrown out because they considered him suspect, or B, he had a knee injury and, or maybe both of them. Right? We don't need this kid anymore. He can't play football. He's no good to us. And besides, he might be hurting our girls. Yes. So they got rid of him. So he went back to Michigan to live with his mom and his stepdad for around six months and became a mechanic for ENL Transport. However, Carl did eventually return to college after being accepted into a special program sponsored by Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo. Carl was again evaluated by the outpatient clinic prior to attending this program. It was determined that Carl was still a danger had a strong impulse to beat up women, yet due to the right to confidentiality policies, staffers were unable to alert the authorities or the college that Carl was attending. Oh, geez. So let's protect this freaking predator. Yes. And not warn the community. Correct, correct. All right, so on October 25th, 1974, Lenora... Nizaki. Nizaki answered her door and was attacked by a man who said he was looking for Charles. She found, she was found, um, she fought back and survived. On October 30th, Gloria Steele, age 19, was found dead with 33 stab wounds to her chest. A witness reported speaking to a man at Steele's complex who said that he was looking for Charles. Diane Williams reported being attacked on November 12th under the same circumstances, and she survived and managed to see the attacker's car and made a report to the police. So he's attacking girls right and left in a very short time. And another thing that I'm noticing is the month is very similar. Like, it's right around that same time of year that he attacked the other woman in 1969. That was July. Oh, okay. So he was put in in the hospital until November. Never mind. Don't listen to me. Now, I do want to warn you that I, I kind of go back and forth with the dates because there are a lot of them, and I give you some information, and then they'll, and then they'll backtrack. It's just, yeah, what is his trigger here? I mean, he is brutal. Yeah, it's almost like a frenzy. Okay, yeah, that's start, a good word. When I start getting into it, it's like he just, fren- it's because they, they, they suspect him, and then... So now you're going to tell me, is, you, you did say he's stalking, he's stalking these women, and I'm sure you'll get to this later, but does he know these women, or is he just, like, spotting them on the street going, hmm, I think I'll, spot, I think I'll stalk her? Well, uh, there's one girl 
that he does stalk and she gets away and then they have some information they find something I watched an episode of American Justice and they didn't say anything about this piece of like a book that was found in his car that belonged to one of the victims but yet one of the pieces of um, information and research and articles that I read said that they found something of hers in his car so that doesn't mean that he knew her. It could just mean that, like, he broke into her house or something. Right. Or whatever. Okay. All right. So, the, uh, Miss Williams was able, she survived and managed to see the attacker's car and made a re, uh, report to the police. Both surviving victims were both choked unconscious and left for dead. Carl supposedly was disappointed when he learned on the news that his victims survived. Right. Now there's somebody who can ID him, right? Right. So... Carl was picked up, picked out of a lineup by both surviving victims and was arrested on assault and battery charges. He admitted to attacking 15 females, but refused to speak about the Steele murder. His attorneys arranged for Watts to commit himself in Kalamazoo State Hospital. The 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 psychiatrist investigated Watts' background and learned that at a previous institution, Watts was said to have possibly killed two two women by choking them. Um, he diagnosed Watts with antisocial personality disorder. Prior to Watts' trial, he had a court-ordered evaluation at the Center for Forensic Psychiatry in Ann Arbor. This doctor described Watts as dangerous and felt that he would attack again and again and was also found, and also found that Watts um, found him competent to stand trial. Carl, now calling himself Coral, pled no contest and received one year sentence on assault and battery charges, but was never charged in the murder of Steele. In June of 1976, he was out on bail, or out of, out of jail and back at home with mommy. You know, I mean, how many guys are were in prison at this time for having, you know, a bag of pot or something? And this guy is getting out on the street, um, suspected of murder, but just assaulting women. Mm-hmm. And you know that people who do that 95% of the time or, or higher are going to go back out and do it again Absolutely. and again and again. And there's medical professionals stating he's going to do this again and again. Yeah, he gets that little slap on the wrist. I mean, Jesus. Yep. Now, the reason why he changed his name to Coral is because, like, near where his grandmother lived, I guess there was some coral there and he thought it was beautiful. And he, I believe he actually legally changed his name to Coral. All right, so no longer is he Carl. He's nope, Coral. He's Coral, yes. Um, so by 1979, he hooked up with a childhood friend, Dolores Howard, and he got her pregnant. For someone who hates women and really wasn't interested in, like, sexually attracted to women, he was well, clearly having sex, and he got her pregnant. They had a daughter named Nakisha, and everything seemed to be going well until one day he claimed that Nakisha wasn't his own and it took off. So he's saying that Nikisha's not his child. Yes. I'm out of here. I'm out. Yeah. I'm going to head out now. So August of 1979, Coral married Valeria Goodwin, Goodwill, and they lived in Detroit. Right. And this is when some things started really escalating because his marriage, clearly his marriage probably wasn't great ever. As I already stated, he had a deep hatred for women, and uh, which made his relationship with his wife probably pretty impossible. When the marriage started to show st- signs of strain, he spent time with relatives in a Detroit suburb. Uh, is it Gross Point? I think so. That's what I would call it. Gross Point Farms, jogging at night to keep in shape. 
Oh, so he's a jogger. That's creepy. Yeah, he's a hunt. You know, to me, I, I see that as if he was hunting. Yes. He was scoping out the neighborhood. He was looking. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So in October of 1979, Watts was arrested for prowling around Southfield Detroit, around a Southfield Detroit suburb. The charges were dropped and investigators did know, note that during the previous year, five women in the same suburb were assaulted on separate occasions, but with similar circumstances. None were killed, nor could they identify their attacker. <sighs> Ann Arbor is about 40 miles outside of Detroit and the home of the University of Michigan. Oh, perfect hunting grounds, huh? Uh, yeah. So in April of 1980, police were called to the home of 17-year-old Shirley Small. She had been attacked and repeatedly cut with an instrument resembling a scalpel. Oh, my gosh. She bled to death on the sidewalk where she fell. Glenda Richmond, 26. Wait, so she fell outside of her home, like right outside of her home? She was attacked? She was walking home when she was attacked. So Glenda Richmond, 26, was the next victim. She was found at her doorway dead from over 28 stab, ru- stab wounds. Rebecca Greer, 20, was next. She died outside the door, her door after being stabbed 54 times. Oh, Lord, that is brutal. At, at this point, a task force was formed. Okay. And led by Detective Paul Button. to invest- So Paul Button... Um, led the task force to investigate the murders that occurred within five months of each other. The task force was dealing with no evidence and no witnesses. Police officer James Authors contacted the task force after reading about the murders concerning his dealings with Watts. So at this point, you know, of course, they don't have the Internet. They don't have the databases that they have now. Um, so this this other guy, this police officer, James Arthurs, is he from a different city or is he from that city and he's saying oh like maybe you should look into this guy i've seen him out he's from one of the suburbs around detroit all of this kind of there's like all these different little neighborhoods like adjacent yes Uh so because like where you know how right we have our but they all have their own different little police police force okay okay all right so here's just some of the murders that took place during that time during that time um, October 8th, 1979, a Peggy Pagmara, 22, was strangled in Detroit. October 31st, um, Jean, Jean. Jean Klein, 44, stabbed Gross Point Farms. March 11th, 1980, Hazel Con- Conniff, 23, strangled Detroit. March tw- 31st, 1980, Denise Dunmore, 23, strangled April 20th, Shirley Small, 17. May 13th, Linda Montero, Montiero, 27, strangled. July um, 1980, Glenda Richmond, 26, stabbed, and she was um, from Ann Arbor. September 14th, 1980, Rebecca Huff, 20, stabbed Ann Arbor. Oh. And the list goes on and on, and I'll get back to some more names. Okay. All right. So, is it going to surprise you to know that he's... Going uh, to get divorced. No, not at all. <laughs> okay. So by 1980, Watts was divorced. His wife was like, fuck this, I'm out. So Coral, she said that Coral started behaving very strangely. For instance, he would constantly rearrange the furniture, cut up houseplants with knives. Oh, hell no. Yeah. Cut candles and melt them into the table. 
dump garbage all over the floors and not pick it up. After they would have sex or an intimate encounter, whatever that is, um, he would leave the house for hours at a time. She also stated that he had violent nightmares. Within months, um, within months, attacks in neighboring Wisteria, Ontario, uh, were being reported that were of the same nature as those in Ann Arbor and Detroit. Yeah, I think I would have to kick his ass out too. Yeah. Like, uh, or I'm out of here. Yeah. And I, I want to say that I also read that um, he would fall off the bed and not even, like, wake up. He would just fall off the bed, get back up. You know, I mean, maybe if you're blackout drunk, you might not remember falling off the bed and getting back in. But, but he was just so, like a violent sleeper. Okay. I mean, I would think that that would, I don't know. I mean. That's definitely an oddity, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, so, if, yeah, I think it would be a bigger problem if he pissed the bed. but <laughs> Yeah, a little bit. Falling out of the bed, you know. But, I mean, I guess she noted that because it maybe happened a lot. So, um, so this is where I want to talk to you about how all the murders started to kind of, how they were connected and how they started putting all of this together. Um, I watched that American Justice video. and Or not video, but... Episode. Set, yeah, episode. And it, it gave a little bit of a a little bit of the snippet into one of the murders and how they and how they eventually really were able to get on to his yes because he was he was caught kind of caught accidentally right yes yes but let me backtrack a little bit and kind of connect all the murders together okay all right so in July 1980 in uh what I say Windsor Ontario and Irene Contratowitz. Okay. 22 was attacked, but um, lived after having her throat slashed. Oh. Yeah, I'm sure he was disappointed in that too. Um, there was, and get ready, there's a lot of names. So Sandra Dalf, 20, lived through being stabbed from behind. Mary Angus, 30, escaped, um, escaped her attack by screaming when she realized she was being followed. Smart cookie. So she realized that she was being followed. <clears throat> and she just started screaming and causing a scene. So this is when you um, F politeness and um, having good manners and being nice and polite. And you, you know, you just, you got to do what you got to do. Right. All right. So she was about to, she was about to pick Watts out of a lineup, but was unable and unsure if she, she could say she picked him out and she said, that guy looks familiar, but I can't tell you if he was the one who attacked me or not. Ugh. Yep. So detectives discovered that. Um, but but it was enough to let the police know that this is this is our guy. Yes. Even though they couldn't arrest him for that. Yes, because they were able to <clears throat> confirm that every time one of these murders would happen in Detroit after each episode, his car was seen leaving. Oh. But yet they don't have any witnesses. So I don't really understand that. Maybe that wasn't definitive. Like, yeah, I saw this in the area. Right. And how many other cars are like that? If you don't have a license plate, you can't see the person in it. You right. can't definitively say, you know, if it's a nondescript silver sedan. I mean, those are all over the place. Right, right. 
All right, so November 15, 1980, an Ann Arbor woman was attacked. Uh, I'm sorry, she wasn't attacked. Well, she contacted police after she became frightened when she discovered that a man was following her. According to one report, police noticed a woman frantic and soon discovered that she was being followed. Okay, this is also part of the video, the episode that I watched. Um, police were in the area um, because someone, like a petty thief, was sawing off the coin meters, like the, the parking meters, and they were, they were stealing the coins out of it. So they were trying to catch that person when they saw a woman walking down the street and she was kind of like head on a swivel, freaking out, looking around, and because someone was following her and she was able to duck into a doorway and Watts didn't see where she was, so he was frantically looking for her as, what the, as the police were observing what was going on. Um, <clears throat> so she ducked into a doorway and this was cause for them to be able to pull him over because he did an illegal U-turn. So he's not, he's following her in a vehicle. He's not on foot. Yeah, he would drive and kind of park and watch her and then drive. It's oh. like cat and mouse, almost. And uh, so because then he, then he performed an illegal U-turn because he was looking for her and he couldn't find her because she ducked into a doorway at four o'clock in the morning on a dark street so we couldn't see her. So they were able to pull him over and because of... The stalking, like they witnessed him stalking this girl, they were able to search his vehicle. Now, this is where I found the conflicting because they don't conflicting information because they don't say this in the episode of American Justice. But but you found vehicle. it somewhere else. Yes. Okay. So they searched his car and they found screwdrivers, wood wool to, wood tools, like woodworking tools, and one report stated that a book of the victim was in his car the victim who was walking down the street. So the victim that he's stalking right now, he's got her book in his car. You know what? No. It's a different it's victim. A, it's a different victim. It just so, clicked for me. So yes. now he's tied to a former victim or yes, somebody who's already been. Huff. Rebecca okay. Huff is one of the murdered victims. Okay. And it just clicked for me. I do apologize. But they found her book with her name in it, in his car. In his car. So he took something after he moved. And he was caught stalking another person. Yes, yes. So um, while in this episode of American Justice, it also states that the police called in the name and the head investigator on the task force button was ready to, was getting ready to pack up and ready to go home when he heard the call over the radio and he heard Eugene, you know, Coral, Carl Eugene Coral Watts and he radioed to them and he said, hold him there. Don't go anywhere. I'm on my way. Because they were like, this is our chance. Um, the same month, because he really didn't have anything, just because he had his book, it doesn't really. Right. He could have found it on the ground. Or... It, it could have been something he purchased at a good, you know, Goodwill right. or a thrift shop or whatever. So the same month, a court permitted, however, for the police to put a homing device on his vehicle. So they... So, Button, Bunton, correct? Yes. He shows up that night. Is Watts arrested? He's not arrested. They no, found all they this. They question him. Well, they take him in and they question him, but they ultimately let him go. They have to let him go. They can't charge him with stalking or illegal U-turn or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. they might have given him a ticket for the illegal U-turn. But when he leaves, they have a device on him, a tracking device. Yeah, so it says that the homing device was planted on his car. So despite this and being followed by squad cars and even helicopters, 
Watts managed to commit at least one more murder. He was he was consequently fired from his job at this time as a diesel mechanic in 1981, and then he moved. But according to the episode of American Justice, Watts disappeared, and the police um, tracked down an old employee to retain forwarding information. So they didn't know where he went. And during that time, how are they going to, you know, like you said, there's not any internet, there's not cell phones or anything like that. So they went to this employer and he left them his forwarding address so that he could get his last paycheck. Right. Because no one's going to leave that, right? Right, right, exactly. And this says that he moved right outside Houston, Texas. So Watts had, ultimately Watts had grown tired of Button's harassment. Oh, poor guy. Well, they're getting a little too close for comfort yeah. in his hunting grounds, right? Yes. Well, and they had even obtained a blood sample from him, and were and they failed to link him to any crimes. So there's n- he's not leaving anything behind. So the way that I see this is, you know, um, here we go with the Forrest Gump references, because, again, we have somebody who is 60, 68 IQ, yeah. and Forrest Gump just kind of, like, bumbled through life and got through all out of all these sticky situations without his doing. So, you know, this is either our guy here, Coral Watts, what's going on with him, or in a way he's got some sort of survival mechanism that's helping him elude. I mean, what is he, an idiot savant? I mean. Well, I don't think they're, I, I, I don't know. I don't know about that, but. That's Rain Man. Yeah, I don't know anything about idiot savants. So. <laughs> I don't either, I just. Okay. So, um. So anyway, Button was like, well, in good conscience, good conscience, yeah. that right? he wouldn't be able to just say, oh, well, he's Houston's problem now, right? No, that's not how police officers typically work. So due to this, Button forwarded Watts' file to the Houston police and said, alert, you got yourself a murderer in town. And, um, but they went and they found him. And he had, at that time, he had no links to any crimes in that area. But that was all kind of going to change. So. Right. So pressure's on now. Pressure is on. All right. And again, here I go with like the dates and jumping back and forth because they'll have one murder and this will happen. And they'll be like, wait, what about this murder over here? It's kind of the same. So I might go back and forth. Right. They, yeah. As they make connections, if, if they're in different little towns or... Right. So, forgive me if I seem like I'm all over the place. All right. So, um, Lillian Tilly was attacked at her Arlington apartment, which is close to Dallas. So, I don't know how far Houston and Dallas are. I don't think they're that far. But then again, um, I'm not a Texas. Here, I'll Google it. You want to go ahead? Yeah. All right. Um And then Elizabeth Montgomery, 25, died after being stabbed um, as she got out of her car at her home. Elizabeth Montgomery, didn't That's she play Bewitched? bewitched? <laughs> yes, that is. All right. So that was in September. So, so I'm going to talk about how he finally got caught. But with that, a lot of information is going to okay. be revealed. Three, three and a half hours. Okay, so that's still kind of like his hunting right. ground. Yeah, that's not too far for him to go. No, I mean, and it's probably mostly interstate. You know. Yeah, I mean, I drove two hours to a place and two hours back yesterday, and you know, I drive to 
Right. You know, yeah. in the middle of our state way too often. All right. So he was finally caught in May of 1982. Now, this is how he got caught. Again, it's going to reveal May of 1982. Yeah, that's what I said, right? Oh, yes. It okay. is. All right. So he attacked roommates Lori Lister and Melinda Aguilera. Aguilar? Aguilar? Agu- Aguilar. Aguilar. Uh-huh. He tied them up and then attempted to drown Lister in the apartment bathtub. Remember that. Aguilar was able to escape by jumping headfirst off her balcony. Yeah. Lister was saved by a neighbor and Watts was caught and arrested as he was leaving. He was fleeing. So according to the same episode of American Justice, um, Lister always parked in front of a fire station thinking that was like safer. I'm going to park here and I'm going to walk to my apartment. She would cross a courtyard. Well, she was walking across this courtyard and when she reached her stairs, she realized that there was someone there. Well, he attacked her and he said, which apartment is yours? And she thought to herself, if I don't tell him which apartment is mine, then he's going to kill me, put me in his trunk. They're going to find me somewhere dead. So, but if I tell him when we go into my apartment, my roommate is there and I have a better chance. We have a better chance of survival. So that's what she did. But you put your roommate in jeopardy. Yes, she did. Okay. Um, So the roommate was there when she saw the key open and she was attacked as he came through the door. And she could see where her roommate Lori was like passed out. Like he, I guess, choked, he choked her. He choked her unconscious. Okay, wait, wait, back up. So he takes, so Lister takes him to her apartment. Gives her, and gives him her, her keys to unlock the door. So he unlocks the door and yeah. attacks Lister or attacks the roommate? Well, he's already, by the time he, he gets the keys from Lori Lister and he chokes her out. So okay. she's unconscious when he's at the door. I guess maybe like at the door before he opens it up. Okay. So he comes in and he attacks uh, Melinda. Okay. Well, she plays dead. So she pretends like she's dead, and she can hear him going and dragging her roommate in, into the house, the apartment, into the bathroom where he started filling up the bathtub, and he's going to drown Lori Lister in the bathtub. Oh, that's a new method of murder yeah, for him. But, yes. Remember that, though, because that's a very big piece of information. Okay. So at this time, while he's doing all of that is when Melinda opens up the side door, jumps off the balcony. She jumps into basically falls into like another little lady's patio area well a lady is sitting on her porch drinking coffee and so that's how hello yeah like hey help me someone's trying to she says help me someone's trying to kill me and my roommate and that's when he they call the police he flees the, uh, a neighbor goes upstairs drags lori lister out of the bathtub and then the police get there with the quickness probably because there's a fire station right across the street so they see him fleeing, and they're able to arrest him at that time. Okay. Um, Plus, he didn't know that the police were coming. So, he had a late start. So, there was, yes. You ready for this? Um, yes. And there's a plea bargain. By the look on your there's a plea bargain. Of course, there is. But, okay. So, again, all over the place here. So, while he is under interrogation, Watts refused to talk to Harris County ADA Ira Jones um, he refused to talk, but then ADA Ira Jones made a deal with Watts in order to confess. Now, this says under investigation. Once again, I read something else that says that was during when the trial um, jury selection had already been chosen. So, 
Um, so he, incredibly, he agrees to get to give him immunity. Why would you give this because guy he confesses to all these murders, but there's no evidence. So he's giving him immunity from these the attacks on these women if he's confessing to the murders of the others. No. He gets immunity from the murders if he just admits to them and then they ultimately end up going and finding more and he admits to all this all this stuff. So um this makes yeah. no sense to me. No, it's bonkers. So Jones wanted to bring the family some closure to some 50 unsolved murders. But if he gets immunity, does he go to prison? Well, he does. Ultimately, he does, he does get due jail time. Murders of women. So 50 unsolved murders just in the Houston area. Oh. Coral admitted to attacking 19, 13 of which he confessed to murdering. So I figure in their mind, they're like, well, if we can just get him off the street, he won't be on the street, there won't be any murders. We probably wouldn't be able to um, put him away for these murders. Because there's not enough evidence. There's not enough evidence. So it's like, why? He's thinking probably like fiscally, why waste all this time? Why put these parents through this, these family members, when it's just nothing's going to come of it because there's not any, there's not any proof. So by the time it was all over, Watts admitted to an additional 80 murders in Michigan and Canada um, because wait, wait, by the time it was over, Watts admitted to over 80 additional murders in Michigan and Canada, but would give detail, wouldn't give details because he didn't have immunity. So he said, yes, I did these murders in Michigan. Yes, I did these murders in Canada, but he wouldn't give any details because he didn't have immunities in those states and country. He just had immunity in Texas and the Houston area. Yeah, he's a big old fat ass white. Um, Coral pled guilty to one count of burglary with an intent to kill. The judge decided that the bathwater could be could be constituted as a deadly weapon, which completely makes sense to me. Um, this would result in the parole board not being able to count Watts for good time behavior. So for good time behavior, which is really kind of creepy that I was doing this research because my kid... My 12-year-old kid had just recently told me that good behavior is for every for every day you serve, you get three days. For every day you serve, you get three days off your sentence for good behavior. Yes. Okay. Unless it's the other way around, but I'm pretty sure it's I think that's right. Three days. Yes, I'm pretty sure you're right. Because of the overcrowding and all that. So because the judge deemed the bathwater a deadly weapon, a weapon, <sighs> deadly weapon, he would not be able to get good time behavior. Good. All right. Um, when determining his parole eligibility. So September 3rd, 1982, Watts was sentenced to 60 years in prison. With no time off for good behavior because right. of the deadly weapon. He could get parole. He could be paroled, but he couldn't get... Um, right. No shortened sentence for good behavior. Right. Okay. Yeah. So in 87, after a failed attempt to escape by slipping through bars, Watts decided to begin appealing his sentence. More. So, but his attorney was like, yeah, I'm not feeling that. I'm, I'm not seeing where we should do this. So in, 19, in um, October 1987, unrelated, 
whole little just see of your pants here. Unrelated to the appeals, to his appeals, the courts decided that criminals must be told that a deadly weapon finding may occur during the indictment and fail to do so violates the criminal's rights. Oh, please. Stupid. Yeah, he's just bouncing through life like Forrest Gump, getting all these great advantages. Okay. Stupid, stupid, stupid. He was using the bathwater to kill her. That's a deadly weapon. Right? Well, yes. I mean, like it's not... But they have to be told before the indictment that that's going to be used as a deadly weapon, and he wasn't told beforehand. Right, but if you stab somebody, you know that's a fucking deadly weapon. Yeah, but they would say, like, um, attempted murder with a deadly weapon instead of, like, drowning with deadly water. (laughs) So I can see where that that loophole, I can see that. But to me, it's it's bullshit. Yeah, because in my mind, that if you're using the water to kill somebody, it's a deadly weapon. Right, but you have to state, they're saying that you have to state that at the indictment or it can't be used after the fact. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, that was his lucky break, Jackass. So, he gets his good time behavior. All right. So, in 1989, Texas Court of Criminal Appeals decided that because the judge failed to inform Coral that the bathtub water could be deemed as a a lethal weapon, that he would not be required to serve his entire sentence. That's bullshit. Watts was now eligible for retroactive good time earned, equaling three days for every one day served. This would mean he would be released on May 9th, 2006. Okay, but... But one of the victims who we haven't even talked about yet because we haven't gotten... We gotta, we gotta go back. We gotta go back in time. So, Lawrence Fossey, a husband of one of Watts' victims, fought this release with every legal possibility that he could. Um, while this was going on, Michigan was like, uh, yeah, we never agreed to a plea bargain. So, we're gonna start looking into the stabbing death of Helen Dutcher from December 1st, 1979, and we're gonna charge a little ass with it. Right, because they to, have evidence in that case, obviously. Yeah, so things start because, and I'll get to how they have evidence. That comes a little later. Okay. Right, so Houston opened an old case that Watts admitted to, but wasn't part of the immunity deal, uh, which was the killing of a 14-year-old, Emmy, Emily LaCoya. Aw. Yeah. So now let's go back to a little bit more detail about all. I'm going to just run down the murders that happened in Houston. March 27, 1981, Edith Ledet, 34, medical student, was stabbed while jogging. Six months later, on September 12th, Elizabeth Montgomery, 25, which I mentioned, was attacked while walking her dog. Two hours later, Helen, uh, Susan Wolf was um, knifed to death, presumed to be the victim of a, the same assailant. So at that time, they were like, this is too much. Like It's a crazed, knife-wielding, psychotic... Yeah, frenzy. It's like a frenzy. He just is like going fucking nuts. January, Phyllis Tam, 27, was found on campus of, of the campus of Rice University, um, hanged with an article of her own clothing. And so he's he's throwing in some murders that aren't because in Michigan, it was either choking or stabbing. Uh And then in Houston, he has added drowning and hanging. Yes. So um, Margaret Fossey, 25, was killed, found at her trunk with her larynx crushed. Her larynx? 
What did I say? I don't know. But okay. Larynx? Larynx. 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 It's okay. Her throat <laughs> crushed by a powerful blow that produced death by asphyxiation. So he probably stepped on her. Or, you know, I mean, that's, Right. Yeah. So February 7th, Elena Samander, 20, was found strangled and partially nude in a trash bin. Um, not far from a tavern where she had spent the night, where she had spent the evening. March 1982 is when the before mentioned Emily Okoya, I hope I'm saying that last name right, was reported missing in Brookshire, um, which is about 40 miles from this Houston. This is the 14 year old. Yeah, this is the 14 year old. Um, but a floor, uh, authorities drew no immediate connection. Because so, it was so far away, or why? Yeah, I guess. Because it was like within maybe 40 different miles that hadn't ta- okay his... different police force or something. Mm-hmm. March thirtieth, Mary Castillo, twenty, was found strangled and semi and semi nude in a ditch. Three nights later, Christine McDonald, nineteen, vanished vanished while hitchhiking from a booze party on the Rice campus. I'm not sure what a booze party. Is. Well, I'm sure there's alcohol there. Yeah, you know. I was thinking <gasps> like a those like booze parties. Booze parties. What is it like when um. I was thinking it was kind of like a, what are those when they do the, the bouncing of the bars? Like oh, a, um, like a pub crawl or something? Yeah. I was like, is it like that? A boo- I mean, I'm just, I'm just going to go on out on college campus, a booze party. Well, I would say it depends. Um, but I have a question. Some mm-hmm. of these women are found partially nude. He, he's just killing them, right? He's not sexually assaulting them. Nope, there's no so when they're partially nude, is is he like just ripping their clothes off? Like I'm just curious about that. Why would Maybe those two be them to destroy the evidence? Okay, I'll buy that. I don't know because it doesn't. I mean, none of the research okay. that I found says if those are just two that you said they were found partially nude, and if they're and they're both college girls, so you know, you know, sometimes they tend to go out partially nude. So right. I'm not like but judging the them 80s, at all. So. This is the eighties. And I know I dressed a little bit, you know, especially in the summertime. Yeah. Summertime. Yeah. So Susan Searles, Seer- Seer- 25, um, was an, she went missing on April 15th. Her shoes and broken glasses were recovered in her car. I think that's how, cause she went missing. So, when they went and were investigating her missing, they found her glasses and found her broken glasses and her shoes. The news article actually said spectacles. Spectacles and booze parties. Yeah. It must have been written by an old lady. Um, so Carol, Carrie Mann, Carrie May Jefferson, 32, vanished after working a night shift on April 14th or April 15th in Yolanda, De Garcia, 26, was killed the following night, stabbed six times in her home. So we're back to stabbing. High school students, Sherry Strait, disappeared with her mother's car on May 1st, and her body and the car were found on May 4th. Two weeks later, Gloria Cavellas, 32, an exotic dancer, which I'm not real sure why that even matters, was found dead in a trash dumpster wrapped in curtains. On May 23rd, Watts was finally caught fleeing the home of Lori Lister and Melinda Aguilar. So all of that was taking place before he even was. Before he got caught at, right. He was busy. Yes. 
Like, I don't know. I mean. I don't understand how he didn't get the death penalty for anything. That I mean, I just, I guess, you know, with no evidence or whatever, but. You know, if he's just slashing and going, <laughs> we won't get into that. Yeah. But I just find it odd that they're not just trying to throw him out of the jail just because. Of right. Him. Just because they have a, you know, wait, hey, even if he didn't do this, let's try to frame him for it. But who knows? I mean, police doing their job. Well, you would think that he would have some sort of clothing or shoes or something that had blood spatter. I mean, there's a lot of blood. When you slash someone's throat or stab them 54 times. You're gonna have blood on you. Yes. And so I mean, he was smart enough to get rid of the, get rid of that that clothing because if he's stabbing some because they were saying one person shoes. was coming up, he was coming up behind them and like stabbing them in the chest from behind. Ah. Mm. So well, the blood was on them. You still have it on your sleeve, I guess. I think so. Yeah. yeah. And possibly your shoes. Right. So I mean, you know that there was lots of diagnosis going on after he was finally caught so watts was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and was said to okay was said to view the world around him as pure fantasies which revolved to a large extent around the struggles against evil he sees everywhere the women are uh-huh. evil to him well and this is where all that comes in psychiatric um, psychiatrist declared watts sane but noted his um, his pathological hatred for women for whom he regarded as e- evil incarnate. These feelings date back to childhood when his favorite uncle had allegedly been killed by female relatives. Yeah, I am so intrigued by that. We need to we need to follow up on that yeah. for later. That could maybe be like a podcast, you know, our Patreon follower bonus episode or something. Yes, absolutely. All right, so here's some more details on that plea deal. So on August 9th, 1992, jury selection underwent, this is where I say this is kind of like conflicting because it says, while jury selection was, selection was underway, Watts struck a controversial bargain with, prosecutor, with the prosecutor's office in return for a guilty plea on burglary charges and the acceptance of a 60-year sentence, which is equivalent to life in prison in Texas. Watts cleared the books on several unsolved murder cases while escaping trial for homicide. Um, as I outlined um, already, this include, he this was included in his immunity deal, but Watts had more information for them, more surprises. He included non-fatal slashings of a 19-year-old girl attacked on January 30th, 1982, and the accidental death of Linda, let's see, Linda Tilly? I think I called her Lydia Tilly, Lydia, Lillian earlier. He's saying that her death was accidental in a swimming pool. So I mentioned her in the list before. So he did try to drown. Ooh. He's saying it was an accidental death. But I wonder if like he was, ooh, now I'm going to try to drown someone on purpose. Yeah. Hmm. And because maybe, and then the failed attempt at what got him caught. So Watts led authorities to the remains of Searles, 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 I would just say. Searles and Jefferson um, which I mentioned earlier, directing other searches because of where those finding the remi- remains of those missing women, other searchers uh, found the body of Emily Goya and his, um, and they were still looking for Michigan. So when they were still talking, Michigan chimed in and was like, yeah, we're going to charge you. We're going to try to charge you for the murder of Jean Klein. Or Jean Klein. 
Um, that's what information about that. I never hear. I never hear anything. I never read anything any, about Jean Klein after that point. So, in um, on September third, nineteen eighty-two, Watts received his sixty-year sentence, and the judge declaring, "I hope they put you so deep in the penitentiary that they'll have to pipe sunlight to you." Oh, wow! Yeah. All right. So here comes Michigan. Well, thank goodness, because if he's going to get out early on good behavior in Texas, somebody needs to step up. Right, right. So here comes Texas. So the attorney general of um, this in Michigan, his name was Mr. Cox. I just put attorney general Cox. Um, <laughs> sorry. sorry. This man is a confessed killing machine and found guilty. He will be sentenced <laughs> to life in prison. Because after 20 years, he will be paroled in Texas. It's also noted that if he was to get out and be paroled, he would be the first serial killer ever released from prison. He would be the first serial killer ever released from prison. Ever released so from prison. So where is he today? Are we, oh, are you still? I'm still getting there. Oh, you're still, you're still, still talking. Sorry. Still, so um, Harris County 88, Ira Jones, which is a guy from Texas. Um, has been, he thinks that the Michigan charges are great. He's like, yes, I gave him this deal because he couldn't prove it. You know, he couldn't, you know, he was, right. he, he did what he, he did what he could. And so now he was like, I think those Michigan charges are great and I'm going to help them. So that's what he does is he assists them in giving them information and assists them with the prosecution. In addition to the confessions, Watts is suspecting of killing a total of 80 plus people in Texas, Michigan, Texas, Michigan, and Canada. Within two years of parole, Michigan puts forth an extradition order. So wait, wait, wait. Did you say he is paroled? No. Okay. Within two years. Before his parole is, before he's up for parole. Yeah. Now, do they still have to go in front of a parole board and the parole could say, yes. parole board can say no. He actually went up for parole a few times. So... He was, he went in front of the parole board. Um, lots of times. Lots of times. Okay. He was denied one, two, four times. Oh, wow. He was okay. denied parole okay. only four times, but after 20 years and his time served, it would have been like he'd served 20 years and he would, because of the good time, he would get out. So yeah. he was trying to get out even before that. That's bullshit. Yeah, it's complete bullshit. So within two years, Michigan puts forth an extradition. If he is paroled, he will be the, it'll be the first time in history that a serial killer is paroled, ever. So 25 years after the murder of Helen Dutcher, who I said, hold on, put that under your hat, um, he will stand trial for her murder because someone finally came forward. So there was a witness that came forward, said that he saw them there in his car, and so they, they put him on trial for her murder. His defense tried to block the testimony about the confessions and the immunity, but it was failed. The judge said the judge was like, "Yeah, no, fuck you. We're going to talk about this." Um, Watts was found guilty and given life in prison. Just two days later, the state started making moves to charge him with Gloria Steele's death. He was found guilty of her murder in 2007. So he was found guilty, and two months later, he dies in prison from cancer. Ah. And that's the horrific story so, of Coral Watts. So did he, so he was extradited to Michigan, and, and and so he died in a Michigan prison. Yep. Yeah, he had prostate okay. cancer. Lord. 
I mean, poor guy. <sighs> Not really. Yeah. So that's his it's, story. Yeah, that's just horrific. I mean, somebody feels the need to just kill kill 80 plus people. Yeah, and he's not one of like your your Ted Bundys or your John Wayne Gacy or Albert Fish. I mean, he's not a name that I'd ever heard of. Now, you're more of a you're more into the serial killer terminology. Is that a, is he considered a a disorganized serial killer just because he doesn't I mean he stalks people oh look at I love oh, your face uh, I love it when I can ask you a stumper <laughs> uh, it's just curious to me like like where did he pick did he just see these random girls and decide oh I'm gonna I'm gonna follow her and stalk her and make her fear for her life and then I'm gonna murder her like how long were these stalkings going on yeah, I mean I don't I, I don't know that answer I'm okay. sorry and <clears throat> You know, why was he the Sunday morning slasher? Because, and it doesn't really address these, but a lot of these murders took place on Sunday morning. And at least they did during, like, the Ontario uh-huh. murders. And they, someone up there in the media deemed him that. Wow. Yeah. So it wasn't that all of them took place on a Sunday morning. Okay. Well, we know. I definitely am so curious about the uncle that was killed by the female relative. So yes. I want, I'm going to look into that. And maybe oh, please do. Maybe present that. But thanks, Cindy. It was very uh, enlightening. I didn't know about this guy. I didn't either. Okay. Well, he was thanks. A psychopath for sure. Yeah. Yes, he was. All right. Well, hey guys, um, give us some support, please. Subscribe to our podcast while you're there. Give us a five star rating and leave us a comment about. Absolutely nothing. Anything. Anything you want. Anything you want. Tell us hello. Tell us we're great. Yeah. So this is essential to our success, success, and it helps push us up the charts. Please take a moment to do so on your favorite platform. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, please visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. And we are so grateful to spend our time together to share murderous stories. Thank you so much for listening to us and supporting us. We love you, and we would, again, like to thank... Um, our Patreon supporters. You too can become one of our beloved Patreon supporters. If you'd like to support us even further, please visit patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod. And if you liked what you heard, especially if you're an Apple listener, again, please give us a five star rating and leave a comment about your favorite murder. And um, Stitcher as well. They have a rating system. Okay. Just yeah, just rate us wherever you are. We yes, love you for that. Please, yes. And thanks, guys. Remember, it, it wasn't, wasn't me. me.